Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome uh, to Christ the King. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant, and I've had the privilege of being lead teaching pastor here for a while. And to those of you that are in the room, welcome. To those of you that are joining us at home or in a coffee shop, or maybe you're driving down the interstate watching, uh, keep your eyes on the road. And uh, we are so glad that you have all chosen to be with us today. As we reach the half point of our series called Named, I want to invite you into a mystery name that you don't know and I don't know and by the end of this message you still won't know but Jesus knows so you not knowing will be worth it you with me all right let's stick it together all right there's a town in Wales named this if you look at the screen across the bottom that's the actual name of a town on a little island in Wales okay and I am not going to try and say it but we're going to listen to it together pay attention very very closely it will become very important to you Let's listen to the audio of this name of a real town in Wales. Llanfair Pwllgwyngyll Goger Chwyrndrobwll Llantysilio Gogogoch. All right, let's say it together. Um, so just kidding. All right, and so here's what's amazing, is we actually found a clip of a weather forecaster talking about what the temperature was going to be like in that town, and he nails the name first shot with no stumble. Watch this and be amazed. Okay, here we go. Just up the road from Llanbair to Pwllgwyngyll, go get a quindrobl, Llantysilio, go, go, go. The temperature got to 21 Celsius at 70 in Fahrenheit. Give that guy an award. Like, that's absolutely incredible. The fact that he doesn't sprain his tongue is amazing. And, and if I lived in that town in Wales, I would move to Bow, Washington, just to make my life simpler. I'm just saying, all right? Well, embedded into that name is an actual meaning. All of those letters together actually mean this. The Church of St. Mary in a hollow of white hazel near to the rapid whirlpool and to St. Tisilio Church near to a red cave. One more time. Just move to Bow, Washington. That's what I'm saying. There is so much in a name. My name is Grant. If you follow the French meaning, it means large, great, tall, slow river. <laughs> if you follow the Germanic meaning, it means gift giver. So when it comes to Grant, it's giver or river, you take your pick, all right? My wife Laurel's name is Latin for victory, honor, accomplishment, and wisdom. And if you know Laurel, every single one of those words actually fits. My son Braden's name is of English origin. It means from the wide valley, the broad valley, a man of wisdom and reverence. That fits my son. My daughter McKenna's name is of Scottish origin, and it means, McKenna means the son of Kenneth. Think about that for a second. <laughs> I don't know who Kenneth is. That is wrong because she's the daughter of Grant for the record, okay? All right? But the greater meaning of her name means to ascend, born of fire and fiery love. Boy, the name people nailed that one because that's my baby girl. Alexander, my son-in-law, his name is of Greek origin. It means defender of man. And if you've ever seen Alex's size or biceps, that one really, really fits. And finally, we have Olivia, whose name is of Latin origin. It means confident, distinguished, and beautiful. And that fits Livy to a T. Our family names have deep meaning, but if you ever show up in our house, you'll find out that we change our names all the time. I hardly ever call Laurel Laurel. I call her Han, I call her Babe. Brayden is B, Brado, or Bud. McKenna is Kenna, Peanut, or Princess. Alex is Alex, I don't know why. <laughs> and Olivia is Liv or Livy. And then you throw in a couple of extras, right? You hear them all over the house Mama, Dad, Mom. 
Clark, Ellen, and Rusty show up on a regular basis too. And you listen to all of those, and those are the terms of endearment that eclipse our regular given names. I've noticed something. The closer the family circle, the more the names are apt to change. If you read through scripture, you'll run into an amazing set of stories where God changes the name of a person. And and you'll notice something about the name changes. When God changes a name, the change is grounded in a new season, a new character quality, a new direction, or a new relationship. God is moving someone from one place to another place. Let me give you a bunch of examples from scripture. Man in the Old Testament named Abram means exalted father. And then God changes his name to Abraham, which means father of a multitude of many nations. God is moving Abraham from being the head of a family to the head of God's entire family. That's a really big upgrade. We met Jacob in week number two of the series. His name meant caught by the heel. He was a con man. But after a long struggle, God changes his name to Israel, meaning God will prevail, or he struggles with God, or God preserves. Jacob is being transitioned from the life of a con man, a grifter, a man who struggles with faith. And and you'll remember last week we ran into Jacob. Jacob had now grown old, and then he had a son named Joseph, and we learned all kinds of things from that particular name. He starts off as a con man, but then ultimately he becomes a man of peace because he finds peace with God and then God gives him an even different name, Overcomer. A guy named Jedediah, meaning beloved of God, whose name is then inspired to be changed to Solomon, which means man of peace. This one's interesting as the name change suggests that God is actually just building into the character of an already beloved son, but he's adding something to him that his father David did not have, the gift of peace in his kingdom. Here's another fun one. Sarai, meaning argumentative princess. (laughs) And her name is changed to Sarah, which simply means my princess. Goes from a little girl that's got a bit of an attitude to that's my girl. That name change opens the door to a complete change of character. Then we run into the New Testament. Guy by the name of Saul. Oh boy. His name means to be prayed for, to inquire of. He's a con man. He's out killing Christians for sport. And then he has a face-to-face encounter with the resurrected Jesus on a road, gets knocked on his backside, and God eventually changes his name to Paul, which means small and humble. I mean, think about that. At the beginning of his life, Saul's inquiring, where are the Christians and how can I kill them? And then after an encounter with Jesus, he becomes this humble servant who ends up being the greatest missionary that ever lived. What a transformation. There's another one, a guy by the name of Simon. It's actually a Greek nickname. It means snub nose. <laughs> a more accurate rendering would be to listen to or to be heard of. His name is changed from Simon to Peter, meaning the rock. If you know the first part of Peter's life, boy, he lived to be listened to in the first part of his life. You run into Peter in the beginning part of his journey with Jesus, he's known for his mouth and his quick temper. And then he becomes a foundational part of the church of Jesus because God changes a name. And and there's one other one that I think is just beautiful because the Holy Spirit steps in and changes a name, a guy by the name of Joseph, not Joseph the father, earthly father of Jesus. No, a guy named Joseph in the New Testament and his name means he will add and then his name is shifted to Barnabas, meaning son of encouragement. He's an obscure man 
in the bylines of the New Testament until he finds his true calling under Jesus as that of an encourager. Each of these people, renamed by God for a specific purpose and a specific plan, and the plan of change that God birthed in them was accompanied by a corresponding name change. Well, what if I told you today, whether you're in the room or at home, that God has the exact same plan for you? The exact same plan. So here's the challenge that we've been walking through with this series. As a follower of Jesus, I'm constantly laying down old names and labels. Some of them have been assigned to me by other people, others I've attached to myself, and I gotta keep peeling them off and laying them down. Liar, guilty, insecure, overconfident, whatever it happens to be, I gotta lay them down. That's why we've had these crosses in the commons and up at the front and in the middle of the room. And now, if you're watching online, you can go to ctk.church named in order to join us. We've been laying down labels week after week after week, but that's only half of the exchange. The other half is to pick up new names and a biblical identity that are gifts from Jesus. And so we enter into this exchange with the promise today that one day, even though we don't know what the name is going to be, that God's going to give every one of the true followers of Jesus a brand new name that will fit you both your calling and your character now some of you are wondering why is a god-given name change such a big deal i mean in our society people change their name all the time did a bunch of research here are the five most common reasons that people change their name of their own volition okay number one they just don't like the sound of their own name so they change it there were times when i thought fishbook how about Fisher or something cool like that, right? But one of the number one reasons, I just don't like the sound of it, so I'm going to change it to something different. Number two reason, they went through a divorce and they don't want that name attached to themselves anymore, so they shifted back to their old name or a completely different one. Number three, hopefully a little bit more positive, they're getting married. And so they want to change their name in order to bring their names into alignment Number four, they're trying to establish a new identity because they've had a really troubled past. So sometimes they want to leave that old chapter behind and so they change their name, they change their identity in order to, to begin new again. And I'll tell you what, when I read number five, I got really, really sad. The fifth most popular reason in this country to change someone's name is because they're trying to distance themselves from their ethnicity. talk about that in a second did you notice that all of the reasons for a name change were because somebody was trying to leave something behind they were leaving behind a dislike of the sound of their name i just don't like the way it sounds they're leaving behind a broken relationship they're leaving behind a relational status now hopefully getting married is more than that they're leaving behind a problem or a past and the last one they're leaving behind a culture my prayer for our church family is that we would all embrace the beauty of our ethnicity, that we would be proud of who God made us and where we came from and our family units and our culture, that we would always look at that as a beautiful gift from God and that we would never step away from it, but that we would always step towards. There's so many reasons to leave a name behind. For some, it's leaving something behind, but hopefully for all, it's moving towards something new and what if in God's plan the reason for the name change 
was to move you towards something beautiful. I'm going to tell you today, God has a new name plan for you. What if the plan is to move you towards something beautiful? The book of Revelation contains so many aspects of the future. We did an entire summer through the book of Revelation several years ago. That was the most intimidating sermon series that we have ever gone through, ever. I think the most popular line in the entire series was me saying to you, I don't know. I don't know. I want to remind you of something as we jump into these verses today. The book of the Revelation is not just a revelation of the end times. It's a revelation of Jesus. If you don't believe me, you need to go back and read the first five words. If all you get out of Revelation and reading it is a timeline and a whole set of opinions as to where you think things are going to fall into line, you've completely missed the point. Because the first five words of the book of Revelation are this, the revelation of Jesus Christ. So if you don't see more of Jesus after reading Revelation, you missed the whole point. If all you end up with is a bunch of charts, you missed it. The second and third chapter of Revelation contains seven letters to seven churches. And inside those letters, you find two different kinds of statements. One statement goes like this, I've seen your heart and your amazing work, and I'm so proud of you. And then there's another sentence that goes like this, and you missed it. Completely. (laughs) Boy, isn't that a commentary for so many of us today? Boy, I'm doing so good over here, but over here, God, I missed it. The first two chapters, or the chapters two and three of Revelation, are really a series of commendations and indictments. I summarized it that way in your outline. Revelation two and three are both indictments and condemnations. And this is where it gets tough. Boy, we love the commendations, don't we? I love it when somebody comes up and says, that was life-changing. Oh, that's fantastic. We love the commendations. When your boss shows up in your cubicle and says, you just, you, you did amazing this week. We love that. The indictments are not so good. When your boss shows up and says, I'll see you in my office at three o'clock. Bring your resume. Not, not a good feeling that bubbles up inside of us. When somebody comes along and says, I know you were trying to help, but you actually hurt. It's tough. We love the commendations. The indictments are hard because the name attached to an indictment is this name, guilty. I've been going through the names you've been laying down over the past number of weeks and I've seen that word more than just a few times. Guilty, guilt-ridden, guilt-filled. We all deal with guilt, at least I know I do. I look back over my life and there are things that I just simply regret. I regret a decision, a direction, a wrong conversation that I know I should never have had, an angry word that jumped out of my mouth that caused a lot of pain, an attitude that brought some kind of judgment on somebody that maybe I didn't even know, a judgment that I know was absolutely wrong. I mean, I have my fair share of pain and regret and we live with that reality and it lives itself out with that word, guilty, guilty. The beauty of this series is this simple truth. Only Jesus can remove that name, guilty. And like last week, we have the opportunity to live up to that name that we took on seven days ago, if you remember it, ambassadors of reconciliation. You see, when when we live out that, 
when we overcome guilt by living out a pattern of reconciliation, we learn that day after day, learning the hard lessons and doing the hard work of reconciling ourselves to God, self, and others, that when we do that, when we actively participate in that, God shows up with an amazing promise. One day, I'm gonna give you a brand new name. A new name befitting of your calling and your character. I'm going to rename you in the end of days. My spiritual family, that is good news this morning. Regardless of what you've done with your old name, if you know Jesus, there's a new name coming. Somebody say amen. Listen to this in Revelation chapter 2. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give some of the manna that was hidden away in heaven. I'll remind you, manna was the daily sustenance that God miraculously provided for the people of Israel when they were wandering around in the wilderness. Then it goes on and says, I will give to each one a white stone. And on that stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. Some of you are thinking, Jesus is going to give me a rock? That's an interesting gift. <laughs> oh, it's got my name on it. Woohoo! <laughs> Thanks. I think we don't place a lot of value in white rocks. They, they don't mean much to us because, after all, it's just a white rock, right? But if you look closer, there's so much more built into this little gift. Let me explain it to you. In a Hebrew legal proceeding, if you were accused of a crime and then acquitted of the crime, the judge would give you a white stone as a symbol of your acquittal, a symbol of your innocence. That's the significance of a white stone. It was a symbol of your acquittal and it had your name written on it. That's the most amazing gift, and let me tell you why, because we're all guilty. <laughs> we're all guilty. I mean, it, it, it's 10.09 a.m. on October the 31st, and I guarantee you I've already sinned today. I drove in on the guide. I mean, I... <laughs> I've had to confess and repent multiple things already. And I don't think I'm the only one. And that's just Sunday morning. I haven't made it, even made it to 10.30 and I've already got a guilty sign over top of me. I deserve the punishment of sin because I know something. I am a sinner. But thanks to Jesus, I don't get what I deserve because Jesus gives me grace. Jesus acquitted me even though I was guilty because he took my sin, my judgment, my punishment on his perfect life and he wiped my record clean, washed me as white as snow, took away the burden. He actually stepped in between a holy, righteous, just God. He stepped in between the two of us as God's wrath was coming my direction and said, Dad, it's okay, he's with me. He's mine. I know his name. I paid it in full and he's got the rock to prove it. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, I know this. I'm going to carry a white stone that Jesus will give me that says, I have been pardoned. And the Bible says there will be a brand new name etched into the stone that will only make sense to me. You know what that means? That's personal. Jesus is going to carve something 
And then he's going to hand it to me, and I'm going to look at it and go, oh, I get it. Oh, I get it. As a follower of Jesus, one day you're going to get a white stone, the symbol of your acquittal, and your new name is going to be etched into it, and it's a mystery name written in stone, and no one can erase it because it's written in stone by the God who made the stone. A white stone symbolized acquittal. It also symbolized something else, admittance. You get to come in. Middle Eastern weddings, guests were often invited by household servants. They would go out, and as a symbol of their invitation, they would give them, as a gift, a white stone from the host. And everyone knew as they received it what an honor it was to be invited to that wedding ceremony. Somebody's baby girl was getting married, and they had been invited to have a front row seat. And they would carry that white stone with them as they prepared and got ready for the wedding feast. And they would show up at the host's home, and they would walk up to the door, and they would present their white stone. And the servant at the door would say, You are welcome. It was their ticket. Followers of Jesus have been invited to an eternal wedding feast between Jesus and his church. Someday, God the Father's baby girl is getting married. And she doesn't wear white because she deserves to. She wears white because God the Father says she gets to. Because everything's going to be wiped away. The the record is going to be expunged. Everything is going to get cleaned up. And you're going to show up with your admittance and your acquittal. And Jesus is going to say, come on in. You are welcome. We need to keep going before I spontaneously combust right now. All right. Embedded within this acquittal are some beautiful promises of God. Revelation chapter 3 says this, All who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God. And they will never have to leave it. And I will write on them the name of my God. And they will be citizens in the city of my God. The new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. So we've talked about the first part of God's gift of a new name. It's a name known only to you. Someday you're going to look at it and go, okay, that makes total sense. I would call that a personal name. It's a personal name with a personal gift. We already talked about it, but I'm going to circle back and talk about it again. This is the idea. In the end, you will be given a true name, our real name from the one who knows us better than anyone. And that exchange is going to symbolize authority and sovereignty and intimacy. Just think about it. The Jesus that deeply knows us is going to give us a name befitting of our character and our calling. The name will be true. The name that reflects us fully as a person. Not an earthly name that we identify all of our brokenness with. No, a heavenly name given to you, custom made out of all the goodness of God just for you. I'll tell you what, I got some bad memories, some bad thoughts, and some bad ideas about the name Grant Ernest Fishbook. I'm excited to leave it behind. Not just because Fishbook is weird, all right? I'm ready to leave that new name behind. The old name. I'm looking forward to that new one that Jesus is crafting right now. If this was an infomercial, I would say, but wait, there's more. (laughs) 
Because along with the personal name, as we read through Revelation chapter 3, you see that there's so much more there. I'm going to read it again in case you forgot. All who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God, and they will never have to leave it. And I will write on them the name of my God, and they will be citizens in the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God, and I will also write on them my new name. So we got names being written all over the place. So we have this name on a white stone that God gives us, acquittal and admittance. And then we actually find in this passage the name of Jesus. That's a powerful name. And one day it will be written on you. Team Jesus. Right here. That name. That is a name that's above every other name. Can I tell you about that name for just a second? That name. The name of Jesus saved my life. See, there's a name that makes mountains shake and the devil quake. There's a name that heals diseases and chases demons. There's a name that calms fears and storms. There's a name that brings about victory in the face of crushing defeat. There's a name that defeats death, freaks out hell, and gives me a brand new song every single morning. That name, the name of Jesus, is going to be inscribed on me because I am his. He's going to name me. I'm his precious son. I'm a joint heir with Jesus, and I'm honored and humbled to carry that name. The world thinks that's a cuss word we all know it's the living word amen Jesus changes everything alright 930 don't let me down some of you grew up in church you know where I'm going with this one Saturday night had no idea what was happening you need to help me out okay you ready Jesus Jesus Jesus, there's just something about that name. Master, Savior, Jesus, like the fragrance after the rain. Oh, you're doing good. Keep going. Jesus, 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 let all heaven and earth proclaim kings and kingdoms will all pass away but there's something about that name and all God's people say a powerful name written on us and then scripture says even Jesus is going to get a new name <laughs> a prevailing name if you read commentaries on the new name of God that Jesus receives in Revelation 3, you're going to find as many opinions as you can fathom. All I know is this. Jesus is going to write his new name on me. One of my favorite theological movies of all time is Toy Story. It's a great spiritual epic. 
And there's a moment in the first movie where all of the toys are gathered around Buzz Lightyear and they're in awe of what's happened. Buzz is standing there like this, looking at the bottom of his space boot. And all of the toys are amazed. Why? Because Andy wrote his name on Buzz with permanent ink. Jesus is going to write his grace on you with permanent eternal love. Whoever trusts in the name of Jesus, the name above all names, will receive a new life, a new purpose, a new destiny, and somewhere down the road, a brand new name. So can we take a moment and uh, just think about this for a little bit? Jesus knows my earthly name right now, and I'm, I'm not sure I'm very comfortable with that. The name Grant Ernest Fishbook brings up some less than stellar memories for me. But the fact that he pronounces grace and mercy over my, that's, that's grace undeserved, for sure. He knows your name right now. Everything about you. The best of you, the absolute worst of you. And yet he still says, bring me your old names. Ask for forgiveness. Someday I'm going to give you a brand new name and we'll start all over again. And we'll have eternity to celebrate it together. Most weeks at Christ the King, I love giving people an opportunity to receive Jesus as Savior. That's so unbelievably important that we keep embracing salvation over and over again. And to those of you in the room and those of you watching, if you don't have a personal relationship today with Jesus, today's the day of your salvation. Come to him, confess your sin, repent, receive grace, mercy, and forgiveness. But there's another piece to that. So many people receive Jesus as savior, but we stop there. This series has been about not just receiving Christ as Savior, but receiving Christ as Lord. You see, Lordship is when we come and God does what we call sanctification, where he comes to us in the process and he just starts tearing away the old labels. And we have to allow him to do that. And then we have to struggle with the level of comfort that we have as he begins to assign brand new names to us. And it's a lifelong process. And it's a glorious struggle. I would so love for people to come to Christ today, but I would also love to see a whole bunch of Jesus followers say, I'm going to embrace lordship today. I want Jesus to be over every area of my life. I love the areas that I'm doing good where I'm getting commendations, but I'm going to have to go after some of these indictments. Because I want to live worthy of the name by which I have been called. So we're going to pray into that right now. Chris and Tyler are going to come and join me, and then we are not done yet. We're going, to, we're going to spend a little time today just standing in the presence of a God 
who in my imagination is standing like this today. I've already got it mostly etched out. I'm ready for you. Get ready to receive your new name. Would you pray with me? Father God, right now, right now, I pray that you would call people to yourself and that those who are struggling with an old identity would lay it down at the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, forgive me. I repent. I confess. I've done this the wrong way and now I'm giving myself fully and completely to you. And God, for the rest of my life, I I not only will name you as Savior, I will call you as my Lord and God, I will bring into subjection everything every opinion, every idea, every thought, I will bring everything under your lordship so that one day when I receive my white stone, I will fully and completely understand the name that you've engraved on it. God, for those coming to you for salvation, we thank you. For those coming to you, asking Jesus, sanctify me, purify me, take out anything that's not of you. God, I want to live worthy of the name by which I have been called, as I hold on to the hope of the new name you will give me one day. God, I pray for strength and courage for those brothers and sisters. I pray these things in Jesus precious name. Amen. Would you stand with me here in the room? If you're at home right now, could, could you change your posture somehow? If you're sitting, maybe you want to kneel. If you've been standing, maybe you, you need to take a seat. We're going to sing a song, and here's the cool thing. If you can sing this, He knows my name. That's all you need to know. The rest of it will just flow. Sometimes we get so hung up on lyrics that we miss the Spirit of God. He knows your name right now. And He knows the new one too. We're going to worship quietly, reverently, and joyfully as we anticipate this beautiful exchange with Jesus. Tyler, would you lead us? Just let it wash over us. And he knows my
good to us. I just don't have enough good things to say about you. Thank you for being who you are. God, thank you for teaching us that we don't have to fear because you hold our hand. You walk with us. You talk with us, God. You know our name. You know our name. Before we knew anything, you knew us. Thank you for that. We love you. We love you. Amen. As our time comes to a close, this is what I see happen sometimes. The, the lights go up and the music changes and we kind of go like, okay, I'm good. You don't have to be good. Jesus is good. And I want to encourage you, no matter what happens in the room in the next couple of moments, if God is calling you to one of those crosses to lay down an old name, lay it down. Some of you need to take a name tag and just put a great big question mark on it. Not sure what the name is yet, but Jesus promised he'd give it to me. And you need to carry that with you as a reminder of the new name Jesus has for you. God bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may he give you peace this week. God bless you, church.